Well, welcome to Beyond Sunday. My name is Todd Nicewanger. I'm excited that uh, you're here to hang out with us. I'm alongside of Spencer, and I'm alongside of Christian Burkhart. And what we always say about Beyond Sunday and the thing that we love about it is, is that we absolutely love God's Word, and we believe God's Word is true. And it is something to be talked about and wrestled with, and even just the beauty of it is amazing. But we also want to land it into real life. We want to make sure that it's not just a book that we talk about, but something that we see through the power of Spirit come to life. And so we believe the best way for it to come to life is inside of the local church amongst friendships. And here we are, just as friends, kind of talking a little bit about specifically uh, today, First Thessalonians. We've been kind of wrestling through this book for the last few weeks. And the cool part is, in the kind of the part of our discussion we are now, is Paul's talking hope, and is he talking where hope leads to steadfastness and all these other things that we've been trying to lay out. We've arrived at, at chapter two, and this last week, uh, Christian got to preach, and we got to kind of learn a little bit about boldness and family and all those other things. So Christian, man, why don't you just take a little bit and kind of set the stage for us? Why is it <clears throat> that what we we talked about from First First Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12, why why is it such a crucial thing to us understanding about what it means to be a follower of Jesus? Yeah, I think that, I guess, big picture, why does this matter to us? I, I see on the, okay, so we were in First Thessalonians 2, 1 through 12 last week. And if you look at the section right before that and the section right after that, Paul uses this word imitate to talk about the way that the Thessalonians imitated him and Silas and Timothy, and they were imitating Jesus, that that Paul and Silas and Timothy, when they came into Thessalonica, they weren't just messengers bringing a message that stood alone. That message included a, a, a lifestyle in the same way that Jesus came, not just with, with a message or just to die and rise again, as magnificent as those things are, but the entirety of his lifestyle is instructed to us, is instructive to us, and, and a call for us to, to imitate. And so I think that's what Paul's doing in this section. He's, just, he's reminding them not only of the message that he proclaimed to them, but the way that he and his associates carried themselves. Because he says, before we left, you saw that. You saw that as worthy of imitation. You actually started to imitate it. We, we've gotten word that you're still walking in those footsteps. So let me just remind you, because this is part and parcel with the message that you believed. The way in which we seek to walk in the footsteps of Jesus is part and parcel with the message we believe. And I think like, I mean, that's why we do this podcast, number yeah. one, right? We want to see, like these guys did, this thing come to life so yeah. that it's not just something that's discussed and, and we, we, you know, maybe think through, but it never comes to life. It was meant to come to life. But maybe just real quickly so we can kind of launch it out. So boldness and family. Yeah. That's that's really where you highlighted, which, I, I mean, I, I love just sitting there kind of hearing you unpack it, obviously getting towards family. And the, the crucial role of that as an identity, who we are as a, as a, as followers of Jesus. But, but why those two things? Like what, what is it about those two things that we need to know as we kind of launch off before we kind of look at the ideal and then talk how we land it? Why those two things? I think like to, to the point that you laid out in the first couple of weeks, like there's a really, like Paul is seeking to really carefully reframe things for them, reshape their perspective, help them to see things through different lenses. I think to remember this this letter is written to a first generation church. The gospel has just broken into Thessalonian culture that's so influenced by Rome and all those things. And I mean, 
this is what I love when I talk to even like whether it's Tim Chantier or Thomas Shear or things like that. They talk about the the initial work that they do. Some of our missionary partners here, they talk about the initial work that they do to learn culture and language and all those kind of things and and pe- teach people even how to read and write and get to that point where now they get to walk them through God's story up to the point of Jesus. And then the amazing thing, each of these places, you have a gr- you have people within that tribe who embrace the gospel, but it's not a 180 switch. Like, okay, now there's this new beachhead established, if you will, in their life of the lordship of Jesus. Okay, but how does that fit with all the rest of life? And for the first time in the Yembe culture or the Nagi people culture, the, the first time that that gospel's landed and they, there's all, and we see how, how many growing pains there are as there is this, like Paul talks about in Ephesians, this need to take off the old way of living, not just your actions, but even your way of seeing the world and understanding life and, and adopt, take on this new life. And so again, like that's the context that Paul's writing here. It's a first generation church. And he's saying, okay, Understand, you get this sense of boldness, bravado coming in with the strength of either my credentials or my eloquence or just my position, and you get how people come in and they're movers and shakers and they kick butt and take names. You get that sense of boldness. But let me show you and remind you, we came in with no less boldness, but a very different kind. He's reframing that. I I think that's an interesting point because it's in that idea of imitation. It's it's follow me as I follow Christ. And yeah, and part of that is follow our pattern of boldness, like you said. But really, it's following Jesus's pattern of boldness. Yeah. And it's and like to your point, it's it's reframing. Yeah, it's not bravado. It's not this like you know uber machismo. It's different. And and how much he time in this passage he spends talking about motivations, not just yeah. here's a list of the actions we took, but here was the motive behind mm-hmm. it. Because I think that's that's such a huge part of it too. I, I, in one of the commentaries I was reading, I think it was F.F. F. Bruce, a great uh, old scholar who's with the Lord now, but he made this statement where he, he that stuck with me. He said that hypocrisy is the tribute that vice pays to virtue. Mm-hmm. In other words, when you see something as praiseworthy, as noble, as worthy of imitation, but you don't want to do the hard the heart work to actually line up your motivations with it, you play act it. You, you, you become hypocritical. I'm going to look generous and, and gentle and things like that. Well, in, the, in, in my heart, I am harboring all kinds of power grabbing thoughts. And he says, okay, yeah, yeah. So vice can look at virtue and say, that's worth, that's good. I don't actually have the time or energy or ability to switch my heart motivation. So I'm just going to play act it. And I think that's what Paul's doing here. He's just saying this wasn't just some persona we put on. You saw whether it was day-to-day, house-to-house, in the workplace, in the synagogue, we were the same people. You know? Yeah. So how— Can I hold taught, that? Let me hold this, because I can tell we're wanting to do the—we're wanting to move into the next section. Well, I was just going to ask the question around family, because you said you said boldness and family. Right. So how does family play into that? And I think maybe that sets us up yeah. for the next section. But Cool. You want to answer that before sure. I keep moving on? Yeah, I'd be happy to, because I think in the same way, there's a reframing of family. And this is the part I tried to emphasize in the message that Paul's, when he when he speaks of him and Silas and Timothy operating like nursing mothers or like fathers, and how often he refers to the Thessalonians as brothers, like 18 times in this short letter, he's not just using handy metaphors. Like there is this reframing of what people, what family you belong to. Uh, in your faith, which is both something I think that the Thessalonians, there was a, 
external motivation, there was something pushing them toward that. Some of the opposition and friction and conflict they were having with their families was pushing them in that direction. But Paul's not just trying to give him a consolation, like an island of misfit toys, like, okay, you've all been rejected, so find an identity as rejects. He's saying, no, this is, there is a reality to the fact that God is our father now, that we truly are brothers and sisters. And in the same way, shift that perspective. Put this family lens on first, this family of faith lens on first. Devote yourself to this family. Even now, reorient your perspective as husbands, as wives, as parents, as kids, within this as the eternal reality. And again, not something that we roll out of bed just naturally thinking that way, but he's like, grow into this image. Like, let your perspective be, be gradually shifted to embrace this idea that we are forever family together. All right, so that's the part we're going to unpack. I love the concept of embracing who we really are, right? We, this is our true forever family. But I also love the idea that you put out there, this idea for us not to be hypocrites. We want to be the people that God intends us to be. So that's what we're going to look at. We're going to unpack it. We're going to look at the ideal of it. And uh, I can't wait to do it. Okay, so those are the two things we kind of laid out, why this is so important. So why don't you take for us a little bit and kind of just unpack a little bit more, a little bit for that, from that text so that we can kind of create the framework to have our discussion on how to land it. So I'll push it towards you, Christian. Help us understand kind of the feel, the flow of that text so that we can we can have a great discussion on how to land it. Okay. Um, yeah. So again, in, in the first part of this book, the first three chapters is he's just recapping their relationship. Like in chapter one, he says, here's what we saw in you. Here's what I was so excited about. Here's what I continue to hear. Okay, now here, let's, let me remind you of what you saw in me and in Silas and Timothy. And, and then he comes back later on at the end of chapter two and into chapter three and says, okay, here's what's happened while we were away. So again, in, in this recounting, there really is just this, let's, let's, let's pick up where we left off. Let's um, reconnect and then keep moving forward together. I, I want to get back to you. I'm not able to get back yet. So this letter is kind of there to, to, to bide our time. And, and in some ways, I mean, how, how crazy is that, that like something that Paul really wanted to get back to see them in person and he can't yet. So he writes this letter, which the spirit inspired and uses for 2000 years to edify the church around the world. Like talk about a consolation prize, right? You're not going to get to go see them, but you're going to do something that's going to benefit the church for the rest of the history of the church. Like just the way that God works in there is I think so cool. Um, but again, he's saying, okay, here's what you saw in us. Here's the boldness that we operated, the way it was different than those around you. And I really do think everything that he says about boldness there, when he says we had boldness in our God in verse two to declare the gospel in the midst of much difficulty, the way that even the, the grammar of the rest of the passage is structured, he keeps that he keeps explaining this idea of boldness. He says, we had boldness so because as you saw verse three, our appeal did not spring from impurity or error or, or, or an attempt to deceive. Instead, we were entrusted by God, right? And then he says, and again, four in verse five, and again connected, we never came to you with words of flattery or or trying to get money from you. We didn't seek glory from you, but he said we even could have made demands. And then he says, but in verse seven, continuing to describe the boldness that they operated with. We were gentle among you. We were like these nursing mothers that just continued to empty of ourselves, share not just the gospel, but our own selves to see you established in this. We, we worked hard. You saw the way that we worked night and day so that we wouldn't be a burden to you. We could have gotten paid to do this whole thing. We could have even come in and demanded payment, but instead, no, we, we labored on our own so that way we wouldn't be a burden to you. 
our conduct was pure. We were, we were the same people, whether we were in per- private or in person. And not only that, like we also weren't just trying to gather a, a platform for ourselves, get a group of people who would love to listen to us and then be dependent upon us. He says, no, we were like fathers who, who charged you to walk in a manner worthy, walk, imitate, follow the same footsteps. Like there really is a, there's such a close family identity, but there's not a wrong possessiveness. Paul's not even writing to them to say, hey, we went away, but I just want to keep you under our control. I just want to make sure that like, like we get to still count you as those that are under our rule. And he's saying, I, I want to see you raised up. I want to see you walk worthy because God's called us into this kingdom. He's called us to his glory. There's such a grand picture of what God has called us to both now and in the, in the forever future. So let's go for it. Let's not settle for anything less. I think that's kind of like the flow of the whole passage. So going back to how you frame this out in, in when we said he's, he's kind of talking through this issue of boldness and imitating them as, you know, as, as he's imitating Jesus, kind of redefining this idea of boldness. So would you say then that, like, help me understand maybe how is he reframing this idea of boldness in and around like those those things that you just said, because it's it sounds like okay, like connect the dots for me, because okay. you're like right there, and I'm like uh, maybe maybe if you can, I don't know if that's yeah. making sense, but yeah, tie it back to the boldness. I think this, yeah, and totally, and I think Todd, feel free to weigh in on this one as well. I think when we look at that word boldness that Paul uses back in verse two, it's it's really interesting. It's one thing that doesn't come across as well in English because we have our own connotations with what that word boldness entails. But but the the basic meaning of the Greek word there is openness, like vulnerability, transparency. It's not, I'm going to be the strongest person in the room and just play king of the hill. And that's how I'm going to get things done. It's a, we are going to be open and transparent and vulnerable. And it's interesting how that, that same word, it took it, it over time through usage, it took on this connotation of courage and boldness, but it never lost that idea of, of vulnerability and an openness. And I mean, the best way I can think of it, it's, um, I was a baseball player growing up. I loved playing baseball. And there is an inherent vulnerability to standing in the batter's box. Like your goal in the in the batter's box is to get on base, to hit that ball as far as possible, to, to lay off the ball so that you can get on first base and walk or whatever. whatever. Lean into a pitch. Right. Yeah. Get on base. Right. And sometimes that means like I, I, I remember when I was coaching my sons when they were younger and, you know, uh, various kids on the team. I mean, the biggest hurdle to get over for kids when they're first starting out with baseball is being afraid of the ball. And you see that moment that happens to every young baseball player. The first time they get hit by a pitch, that really is like the watershed moment of whether they're going to stick around in the game of baseball or not. Because on the one hand, either go, this isn't worth it. I am never getting in that box. I don't want to leave myself open and vulnerable to taking one on the chin. Or you get a kid who goes, okay, yeah, okay, that wasn't so bad. Okay, I'll step in there next time. You know, this is going to happen. This is going to keep happening. You learn how to kind of turn and... And, and protect yourself in some ways, but you leave yourself vulnerable just by stepping in the batter's box. But you have to believe that the task at hand is worth it. Is it worth it? Do you, do you care enough about the game, if you will, to put yourself in that vulnerable position? I think that's really instructive to me when I think about this word boldness that Paul uses. He's saying, yeah, we were shamefully treated in Philippi. We came to you guys in Thessalonica and it didn't get any better. And yet, we kept stepping in the batter's box because we believed that the, that the gospel that God had entrusted us with that shaped our life was worth it. 
And so we were willing to leave ourselves open, vulnerable. That's the boldness that he's talking about is this, I'm going to keep going in the midst of the vulnerable position that it puts me in because I believe that the task I'm, I'm seeking to accomplish is worth it. And I think what's cool from it is then the rules got defined towards Jesus. Huh, yeah. Right? Like now all of a sudden they would have come in, and I do think that's why he uses four in verse three, four in verse five, four in verse nine, four in verse 11, is he's playing and contrasting, right? So to your point you, you were talking about earlier, is that on one side, there's the contrast of, and I th- again, I thought you brought this to light, great, these teachers that would have come in and the way they would have acted, the way they would have done things, um, the way that he could have as an apostle had an expectation, right, of how they did things. But instead, he says, that's how the world views boldness, yeah. right? Maybe bravado, uh, machismo, right? Yeah. All those ways in which we think wrongly about boldness. But then he says, but I'm going to redefine boldness around the person of Jesus. Yes. Your perspective is wrong. Mm-hmm. And what you saw was not the boldness of, of how the world operates or maybe what you were used to or what I could have even expected. And then he uses in a cool way, and again, I thought you drew this out great. He uses parent language mm, yeah. to help them understand boldness, right? Like what a what a different contrasting reality that he brings to bear, which I think just that play mm. that he goes back and forth on and using those those for this and for this, you know, as he moves through this, really helped, I think, them, especially like I think we forget they were they were beaten down pretty good right here. Right. And I think he had to come in while their perspective was weird and go, hey, let, let me, to your point, let me remind you, right? Because yeah. how often does he say, remember? Yeah. Or, hey, do you, do you remember this, right? And, and he had to come in and almost say, I know you feel beaten down, but do you remember mm-hmm. what it was like when we came in? We, we redefined boldness as transparent, as vulnerable, as costly. Yeah. As, as a, yeah, like you... Yeah, the, the nursing mom image oh. of going, yeah, you don't see many nursing moms making demands for themselves. <laughs> you know, it's like it's an emptying of self, right, of going, it's it's a giving of yourself. And yeah, I, I don't think of boldness that way. Yeah. Um, so it's good for me. But just to, maybe just to challenge this just a little bit, and I'm anticipating how people would hear this. We talk about boldness here, and we're redefining boldness. What, what about people who might look at that in verse 2 of chapter 2 and go, well, the boldness was in the proclamation of the gospel, not in the lifestyle of said gospel. Do you have any thoughts on that one? It's like a f- – sorry, do you mind clarifying that question? Yeah, because, because in, in, in chapter 2, verse 2, you know, Paul's writing and he said, we had boldness to you, uh, in our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. So it seems like the emphasis might be – the boldness is in the proclamation of the gospel. But if I hear what's being communicated here, it's saying, no, no, we're, we're saying the boldness is in how you're actually engaging with and modeling life and whatnot. Yeah. I, I think that I, I see that. I see that where you can, you could look at it and go, okay, yeah. Verse two, boldness, when we declared the gospel. Okay. That's talking about just the declaration. Everything else is just church life. Everything else is, just, okay, they believed and we started to nurture them. And that's where all the parent language came in. And I think the part that the way that I guess I would push back on that is just to say the grammar of the passage shows that this is all connected. All, all, like when Todd talks about all the fours, like the for or because language that he uses yeah. there, 
he's continuing to basically just hang all these, all the later verses as an explanation of remember the boldness you saw in us. Yeah. So that includes all the things we didn't do, all the things that weren't motivating us. And it includes the gentleness, the motherly care, the fatherly care, the hard work, all of those. And I also think the way, like the, the one that's kind of a kicker for me to see that, no, all of this is what Paul means by declaration of the gospel, not just the words that we said, but the life that we embodied. It's because he says, we declared the gospel to you in much boldness. And then he goes on for 10 verses explaining what that boldness looks like in terms of the declaration of the gospel and the way they yeah. carried it out with their lives. And then what's the first thing he says in verse 13? We thank God constantly that when you received the word from us, every, when we received not just the proclamation, but all of this, you saw it not just as the word of God, as our words, but as the, as the word of God. And so I think the fact that he intros it by talking declaration all the fours and becauses that link it all together. And then in verse 13, he says, and now here's how you received that whole package from us. I think it's it's all tied together. And that's what I tried to get at when I use that phrase, actually, that I got from Thomas Shearer, that, that the message shaped the messengers. The messengers' lifestyle was shaped by the message that they proclaimed. And that's where the lifestyle and the message go part and parcel. You, you hold them together. Yeah, and I think like that's the part again, for us in the 21st century is very hard to understand because generally it's merely words. Yeah. But to them at the time, to your point, him using mimic language, imitation language, it was so connected yeah. to how they lived together. Okay, so we kind of got the framework of it, which I'm excited about. And so now what I'm going to do is this, the three of us just as friends, all right, how do we now, how do we land something so huge like this uh, into our lives as these people that are truly seeking to live out this, maybe we'll call it family boldness, right? Yeah. Like in who we are as God's people. So we'll do that next. All right. So let's, let's, um, let's use those two ideas of boldness and, and maybe we'll finish with family. Cause I think that's super important to us as a local church is that idea of really embracing our forever family. But how do you guys maybe in your own personal lives see this this reframing of boldness, right? When and I and I'm just thinking of it from this standpoint. Generally, when I want my kids to obey, I get very bravado, right? I, I oh, step yeah. into dad mode, and yet the thing I learn is is that that's not generally the best way to go from a machismo standpoint, right? Because that only works so long. Because, but maybe just yeah. How how do we reframe this? Because it's such a different way of looking at how we understand boldness. Yeah, for me, I, I struggle. <laughs> I mean, I just be honest, you know, I'm going in, it's, it's funny. I know we're going to finish with family, but I think the one that it still, it wrecks me in this section was that Paul, when he's talking about how he monetized things, how he made money and that he could have had, he could have made demands and he would have been entitled to something, but he, in a, in a spirit of boldness, laid aside the rights that he had in order to actually do something. And I just start thinking through that of going, okay, do I define boldness in my own life by laying aside the things that I have rights or privileges to? And to be honest, I, man, I don't know that I do. And making yourself open and vulnerable right. to I, the I, benefit of others. Right. That's I go, bold. Do, do I lay aside the things that I'm entitled to for the sake of others. Man, that's a struggle for me. I, yeah. And so, so then you continue on with the other illustrations, but that illustration alone of going, man, he had the rights to, to ask him for money. 
but he laid it aside. And it's like, man, what do I lay aside for the sake of others? That, as I think about Cornerstone, I think my involvement at Cornerstone, living in Simi, that's for me. I mean, certainly on the on the familial side, it's easy to to puff myself up and start demanding and making you know authoritarian demands of Tina people. Tina wanted me to talk to you about that. Yeah, you know, yeah, all the kids do. But um, but but for me, it's it's probably summed up more. Do I lay aside? what I have maybe rights to for the sake of others. And that, that really just, yeah. I think, man, I think, I think that's a struggle as I look back over the last, you know, 10, 15 years in Simi Valley, certainly the last two years at Cornerstone, you know, are we getting, you know, all upset because we think we have rights and privileges or are we willing to lay those things aside for the good of others, for the good of others, even at cost and putting ourselves at a vulnerable open, Right. Spot. Right. Now, what do you think, what do you think Christian? I think that... I see you staring into the sky. <laughs> yeah, the, like, there's this, the this amazing thought stare. has already come from oh. heaven to you. So I'm like... More just like the convicting thought. Yeah, I think there is kind of the... Um, I think about myself as a, as a father and go, you know, everything you said, when there's something that's out of whack in my family, I run to enforce. I run to... No, I, this is the way it needs to be, and I, and I I lead with power far more far more often than I should, and it's kind of you know what's the saying that says like insanity is doing the same thing over and over again expecting a different result. I'm kind of going, okay, Lord, would you help me to realize like for the, for the, when Paul says there in verse twelve that we exhorted and encouraged and charged you as fathers to walk in a manner worthy of God, would my kids look at me as the father and say I led through exhortation through, through like a cheering on an encouragement a a like a, a sense of helping them to see the, the 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 grandeur of what they've been called to but cheering them on in that and equipping them with what they need or is it more dead lays down the law when things are out of line you know and i think that that's a that's something personally that i go oh gosh that's an area where i want to grow and then that leads me to think through one of the things i i think i put it in the the community group discussion questions was do we believe that this type of boldness, gentle boldness, sacrificial service can actually get results in the real world? Because I think that's actually a place of tension for me is there's kind of almost this sense of like, you know, sometimes maybe you, as, a, as a kid, as you grow up and you realize that other families do things differently. And so then you go, OK, well, I get that this is the way our family does it, but not everybody does it that way. So I get that it works for us. And so I think sometimes I, I get stuck in my head there. I go, OK, I get that this works kind of in the church, but. In the world, real world, can you actually get things done with we this? We need to switch rules. Yeah. Right? Do we almost have to say, and I think that's the danger of this text, is we might think, well, no, Paul lived by the rules out there when he was preaching the gospel, but once they became followers of Jesus, then he switched over. Yeah. And no, Paul was always at a position of vulnerability, right? Like, especially 1 Corinthians one eighteen through 2.5, 2 Corinthians as a whole, right, is just this treatise of like what it meant to be God's people to put yourself at this position of vulnerability. Yeah. And so does the church choose to operate in the imitation of King Jesus by how we choose to live, not only in the sphere of our local church, but the sphere of just as the people of God in and amongst people that aren't, that don't know our King or have embraced our King. Exactly. Right? I think that's the part, like, even when I wrote that question, the, 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 does this get results in the real world? In my mind, the ne very next question that comes up is what do I mean by results? Like what results am I seeking? Cause if the result is to represent our King, well, to give the aroma of what his rule looks like, even in the midst of sacrificial vulnerability, 
if that's my calling is to portray that to the world, okay, that gets results. But if what I'm wanting is that my perspective is enforced and encouraged and encoded in law and therefore my version of the way that society should work, that's what gets imposed. I just don't think those are necessarily the results, but those are the results I naturally want. It's so fun. I'm sitting here listening to you. And so several years ago, my dad was running for political office. There was another man in there. And I had organized a bunch of pastors to be able to meet with my dad and meet with these other, uh, with this other uh, guy seeking to be elected as a representative. Anyway, so we're sitting down and I remember him saying these very words. It's so funny. I mean, right as you said that, it came to my mind. He said, I appreciate that you guys operate in the way that you do in your local church, but understand the rules have to change for us as we come out and try to operate in the world in which politics exists. Mm. And it's so funny, right? When you said that, I'm like, oh my gosh, yeah, that what a, and, and I think this guy is a, Dude that loves Jesus. So I'm not trying to say it's not, but had that weirdness of switching rules, right? Yeah. Like that we're going to, but I think Spencer always highlights and never lets us get away from, but does that display God? Yeah. Right. Like if our whole chief way, reason and purpose for creation was that we might put God on display, the switching of those rules and operating by the world's standards now, we, we've, to your point, does it work? Well, define work. It may have got your intended end, but it didn't work to put God on display. Yeah. Which I think then when it comes to like advocacy, which, you know, again, where the church is to step in to the mar- for the marginalized, yeah. are we going to again switch rules? Are we going or are we going to continue to say, no, actually putting ourselves at a position of vulnerability, of openness? is actually the way we advocate rightly like King Jesus advocated, right? Yeah. Like in it, I just feel like we always feel like we have to switch to like a human wisdom on what we do versus to go, no, no, okay, God, I trust you. I'm going to enter into that as the means of displaying you, even if it's at great cost to myself, which, oh, then if it's at great cost, it displays you again, yeah. right? Which is, man, that's so hard. And whether but, we're talking family or advocacy, everything in between, that's hard. Don't you think that's an element of living by faith, though, is taking out and going like I think sometimes we we limit faith or restrict faith just to going like a response to the message of who Jesus was. But we forget that. No, there's an act of faith in living by faith that almost necessitates going, Okay, so in this moment, what makes sense to me is to brashly want to fight for something. And yet King Jesus models a very different way of meekness and humility. That's now, that, bold. That's that's still bold, <laughs> yeah. but it doesn't make sense to me. And so now by faith, I'm going to say, okay, I trust the fact that being an imitator of Jesus is what he's called me to. Yeah. And it doesn't make sense. Okay, but I'll go there. And the other side of the bridge, it protects us from timidity. Mm-hmm. Right. Like it, it, we're still scared potentially out of our mind. Like we're still, there's a cost, but it, in an interesting way, it's still call, it, the gospel invites us in to display God and not back off and pretend like it's not there or run away from it. But there's still that invitation that says, even in your fear and insecurity and weakness, come into that to see my power. Mm. Right. Which is another, it's just fascinating to watch this where I, I still remember one time getting a phone call late one night and I told this lady, look, if you're, if anything ever happens with your husband again, he'd been abusing her, you call me right away. Well, you know, and so finally the phone call came and I remember looking at my wife going, Oh no, like 
I did actually say I'm going to be there. And I remember two thoughts by faith, right? God had given things like the police, right, as the means of the sword to protect. So calling, my wife's calling 911, and I'm going over because we didn't live very far from where they were. And I remember just in that moment, stepping in, and you know, I don't know if you guys have ever had this, you just react, and the guy's got a hammer, and he's trying to beat down the door, and I put him myself between the hammer and the door and everything. But like in that cool moment, I still do remember, man, I was weak. I was scared. I mean, but yet in that, like, I do feel like the spirit of God allowed a portrayal of what it means to put yourself vulnerable. Right. And, and I think whether we're talking advocacy or you and I talking about kids, Mm -hmm. like, what does this look like to put ourselves in that position? Not from the power levers. Right. But this is where I think Christian did such a great job of going, it's reframing boldness of going, boldness is not us demanding our own rights or what makes sense to us, but it's an emptying of ourselves and giving of ourselves. And that's where I think like the familial language, especially the nursing mom language is just so crazy because it's, it's an absolute boldness that necessitates giving of yourself. Mm -hmm. That's not the way I think about boldness. That's not the way that I think about like defining like key aspects of my life of going, yeah, I'm going to give myself here entirely for the sake of others. Okay. So let me switch this now to family because I do, I wanted to end here because this is, I also wanted to talk about this. How do you guys seek to maintain your forever family, right? Because we've got wives and kids and we love our wives and kids most days. Um, you know, I, every day we, we love our kiddos. And, and um, But how do you guys work to keep to make sure that our spiritual family, the kingdom that we've been invited into by our father is our chief brother, Jesus, right? All, how do you keep that from going secondary to other family, right? Does that make sense? Like, how do you guys keep our forever family as the primary family to which we've been called and living in this world when it seems so strange to think that way? So how, how do you guys do that? I think are we going to keep this recording going or we're going to turn that off? I know, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think I can share and say when I was in my early 20s one of God did a work in my life of just lighten a a fire of honestly love for the church and I I had just recently come to Cornerstone and just I think that it was the first time I started looking at like a book like First Corinthians that talks about gifts and and seeing the way that the classic love chapter of chapter 13 fits right in the middle of that where Paul goes, look, who cares what gifts you have? That's all just a bunch of noise, but love is what motivates all of it. And And realizing in those moments, it was like, okay, I don't need to necessarily be so fixated on what's my gift and what's my role. I want to step into love. Lord, Lord, would you give me a love for the church? And to see the way the last 16 years, he's absolutely answered that prayer so many times. But I will say, it's an interesting way to answer that question right now, because I think the last two years has been the biggest test or tension point of my love for the church. And I'm more than ever right now, I even mentioned this in my sermon, I want to hedge my bets. I want, I, I, I've I, probably doubted more whether keeping to step, like continuing to step into that batter's box is worth it because I've taken enough on the chin, but it's like, ugh. maybe it would be better to kind of hedge my bets or put some, like put some distance. And yet I also remember the very thing that I also said in this message that absence doesn't typically make the heart grow fonder. It, it just propagates that distance and sometimes the suspicion. And so for me right now, I would say it, it, it's at that level of, of 
like a spiritual discipline of, no, I'm going to make sure that for myself and my, my family, we protect Sunday mornings. We protect our time with our community group. Um, like, because with the people in my life that I know that I, I, I want to stay in close connection with, you know, within this church, like, because right now I, I'd love to just ease off. And I, but I recognize that's, that's out of step with what I see in scripture. And so for me right now, there is a Russell, a faith Russell of saying, I want to, I want to stay in this. And I don't want to let um, my heart grow cold by looking for greener grass on, uh, uh, you know, not necessarily other churches, but just other activities and things that maybe don't bring as much tension right now. You for know? you, it's a, it's an act of intentionality. Yeah. Really. That yeah. I'm, I'm going to make sure even when I don't feel like it, that we don't forget the necessity of this family like just that. Yeah, it's like when Paul says in the beginning of the book, this idea of a labor of love. I, I see like, yes, the love <laughs> produces the labor, but I'm also looking at it going, okay, if right now I want, I recognize I want my love to be reignited, okay, then, then keep doing the thing that you know is right and good, even if your heart doesn't feel like it, knowing that along the way, like, that, that is an act of faith, of knowing what I know is true and right and eternally relevant, of this is my forever family. So even when it's hard with your forever family, stick with that family and, and, um, and see the way that that actually opens up new depths of love because it's not just based upon convenience or what you get out of it or just how easy it is. It's in the, in the rough sailing that sometimes you go, okay, you find out how, how the bonds that you truly have. And I think that's been in the midst of the season as well, something that's made it really sweet is you get to see those, wow, you, this really does feel like family and this is beautiful and, and I and I want to stay in this, you know? What about you, Professor? I think the, the reality of, I was just thinking through what, what Christian was saying, I've gone, there is a, there is a physical family we have there's a spiritual family we have, and both of them are true, right? And so then it's going, okay, so then how do I live out both of these realities in a way that's being faithful? Um, and, and for me, the spiritual family side of things, um, I think the, 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 big, the, the big wrestle for me the last well, probably year is wrestling through idealism or perfection mm. of what the church should be and being really pissy and cynical because it's not that. Yeah. And then going, wait a second, every, every letter in the new Testament was written to a broken church. And, and so it's that recognition of going, yeah, the church is broken. The family of God is flawed and, and that's okay. And so I'm not going to exit out of it. Um, and so do I, do, I, do I really like the expression of the local church right now in Simi Valley? Honestly, it is what it is. So let's just stay in it because this is, this is the spiritual family I'm a part of. You know, and I don't know if that makes sense or not. Yeah, but not it's, chuck the ideal. Not say no, the no, 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 exactly. But pursue it. Yeah. Pursue it. Yeah, the idealism is idealism. But and I going, think I love, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. No, I love what you, the thing that you're saying is, though, is you're saying that while the arrival is not something we experience fully until yeah. new creation, the trajectory matters. 
Yeah. Like the, the, the moving towards it, right? And being yeah. confident in the moving towards it and satisfied and well moving towards it, but but I think I'm I'm a different bird, man. I don't know if you really? knew that or not. Yeah. <laughs> because I get so pissy and like frustrated when it's not moving the way I think it should move or moving fast enough. And so I just the recognition though of going, no, like the church structure is broken and that's okay. It is what it is. So jump into it and be faithful. Yeah. So boldly go in and, and engage in a broken system, not boldly like the world does where you try to create change and manufacture results, but emptying yourself yeah. for the sake of others. Or to run away from it. Which right, which is the other side. Which is the other side of yeah. going, yeah, I'm, I'm so frustrated with it that I'm going to just check out. Yeah. And, and and so for me, I go, man, it's it's that combined with, okay, that's organizationally, but then the same things hold at an individual relational level. Mm-hmm. Hey, you know, um, who are my spiritual moms and dads and grandmas, grandpas, aunts, uncles, spiritual brothers, sisters? Oh, they are also broken and they will also fail just like I will. and And that's okay. So let's be in it, you know, but, but I think it comes back full circle to what Christian, you were talking about, about being bold and going, okay, so do I, do I willingly give of myself, lay aside rights and privileges for the sake of these broken family members? Well, I think I should, but I, I, I struggle in it. Yeah. Yeah. And even, I mean, just for me, one of my difficulties is then inviting everyone in and where I have to be dependent. Mm-hmm. I don't do that very well right. and to say, okay, <clears throat> you know, here's my life. I need, I need you guys to bear burden. You know, that, that's like, and I think that's maybe for us as Americans, we don't do that well, but the practicing need, I don't know if like is really a struggle for me. So, yeah. Well, thank you all for being with us. Thank you guys just for hanging out and talking. Thank you, Christian, yeah. for, for leading us through. But uh, just want to remind you like our whole goal on beyond Sunday we, we love God's word and we believe God's word is true. And, uh, but we also want to make sure we don't just sit around and talk. We want to see God do a work in us and transform us. And so we believe the local church and the relationships inside of the local church are where it lands. So, man, God bless you all as you seek to live and to follow our great King, Jesus Christ. God bless. Amen.